0: Welcome to PBC Talks. If you would like to find out more information, please visit pbc.org.uk. The miracle of the method. So, you've heard already two weeks ago the miracle of the moment, which is about timing. And catching things at the right moment last week you heard from Ben Jack about the miracle of the message of the astounding power of what God was sending out in that Advent period and today it's how did he do it this is about the miracle of the method about how God and why God did what he did so we'll start with some scriptures I've got a, an Old Testament, a New Testament, and a Gospel reading for you, so <clears throat> bear with me. So we'll start <clears throat> with the, the Corinthians. This is 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26 to 29. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. And then the gospel reading gospel reading? Luke 2, verse 15 and 18. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. should probably go... Here we go. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And then finally, we're going to Isaiah. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. To be worth $1 trillion, it seems the Apple Corporation are very good at selling stuff. Or I should say, meeting the communication needs of the planet, of every person on this planet from their goals but in a cool and stylish way. Now this little device, thank you, is the only Apple product I have, look after, possess, whatever. It is a cool design, and despite its age, it meets all my music needs, which are quite limited. And it's probably the smallest uh, gadget you'll see me display as a prop in a sermon, unusually. Despite striving to be a cool and stylish old gent that I am, I've never had an iPhone. Now, each time Apple bring out a new iPhone, and we've recently had the 12th launch, and there's like 21 models out there since the beginning of 2007, the success and the share price of this enormously rich company seems to be always on the edge of a cliff. If their new product doesn't, become the must-have phone for a 150 million people each year, their business share will shrink, and other enormously rich companies in Korea and China will beat them. For example, between October and December this year, just two-month period, because their quarterly sales weren't very hot and sales were a bit down, so the share price fell by 20%. And that wiped out $200 billion from the value of the company. You know, that to me sounds very precarious for a very rich company. So therefore, when they've got a new phone to launch into the world market, the Apple corporation needs that to succeed like no else, no other thing, because without it, they're dead, they die. And it's just got to be a success. And the CEO and directors, or whatever they call in the American system, vice presidents, they'll be looking for the smartest and the most talented people to manage that launch. No doubt in some important and glamorous city, so it has the biggest chance of success and the biggest impact. They definitely will not be placing the task in the hands of a young courting couple, or a bunch of shepherds, or a motley group of fishermen. And it absolutely won't be in the back of a pub or in a cow shed. But as we all know, and thanks to the nativity plays all over the country and to many which all over the country... I'll start that again. Thanks to nativity plays, unchurched people all over the country know this story the same way we do. It's the method God chose to use to get his implant, into this world. It was the way he put his rescue plan into operation, which is infinitely more important and of value than a phone, in my view. Now, 1 Corinthians 1 says, God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise, and God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He didn't seek out gifted, talented people or even well-educated adults to be parents for his son. He chose two ordinary people who were available to him. They responded to the angel's challenge and they had the attitude and the availability that God was looking for. Availability and attitude means that you're willing to do the 80-mile journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem without a bus, without a train, without a car, possibly a donkey, but on foot most definitely. 80 miles. Now, in, 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 in real speak, that's probably four days to a Middle Eastern young couple. Four days of trekking. And when you're heavily pregnant, that doesn't sound to me like a really great idea or an attractive prospect. Now, it doesn't tell us whether Joseph had to persuade Mary to do this. No, it's all right. I've got. A, I'll borrow next door's donkey. It'll we'll be fine. It was something that happened. And if Mary decided it was the thing to do, then that's what she did. But nonetheless, Mary, being the key player, being pregnant, she must have said, yes, let's go. We look back on these nativity accounts in Luke and Matthew, And as a historical event, it's lovely. It's it's full of wonder and it's theatre and humility and it's just perfect for the the plays in the nursery schools where they can get into it and get the story inside their heads and hearts. I see they don't do the fuzzy beards anymore, which is a shame, because I quite like those. But looking back at the plan, it, it doesn't require any expertise in public relations to see that the Mary and Joseph plan was high risk. Would people really believe her story? You know, now, teen pregnancy and motherhood before marriage may be acceptable in 2018, but back then, it carried a future of shame and accusation and ridicule. And furthermore, what's gonna prevent that taint and that scandal from sticking to her son forever? It looked impossible to avoid that difficult situation for them and their child. And his credibility really could have been quite iffy and hard to accept with that background. But Corinthians says, God chose the lowly things of this world and despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Have you noticed that God doesn't let logic and reasoning get in the way and spoil his plans? You know, this is the miracle of the method point one. Bam. Does it work? I want that one. That's it. He choose yeah, his methods transcend us, which means they, they're, they're, they're bigger than we are. We're more difficult for us to understand. They excel and they surpass what we think is possible or even sensible. He chooses someone like Moses, a fugitive with a stammer to lead Israel out of his exile. He chooses a prostitute in Jericho who ends up in the lineage of Jesus himself. He chooses a young shepherd boy to turn a little nation called Israel into a powerhouse in the area, in their region. And it's what Marion White touched on two weeks ago. When we look at God's plans, we think, no, I wouldn't do it that way. That no, doesn't make sense. And it's just as well God doesn't have to pitch his plans to a committee for approval before he launches them. You know, you know, Imagine whether he puts his particular idea for Joseph and Mary to uh, a bunch of gray-haired, slightly aging people, uh, or uh, an Apple marketing team. Their responses will be quite similar, I think, looking at this proposal for Joseph and Mary and launching Jesus into the world. Are you serious? What's the logic? You know, where is the grand entrance for the, the Son of God, the man who will save mankind? And, and you're going to use Bethlehem, that little place? It's, and you're going to use a cow shed? Surely, you know, not behind it you know, Surely we need something a bit more grander, a bit better, a bit more central, like on the outskirts of Jerusalem, at least, and not something way out in the sticks. But the other hand, we do like your plan for John the Baptist. You know, that is just perfect. It's a respected priest and is a devoted wife with the hope of a baby long gone. Then a miracle in Jerusalem, in the temple, no less. And another miracle with a pregnancy. And then a grand finale with the baby being named and the voice coming back and a big audience to see it all happen and be able to share it. You know, that was just a flawless plan. We like that God. But the biggest somebody, why don't you use someone who's not a nobody? You're you're, you're choosing to introduce him through a couple of nobodies. At least have a somebody in the parenting, you know, not a joiner, for heaven's sake. And you want his marketing team to be shepherds and fishermen. We're doomed. The project is doomed. Forget it. Has the truth sunk in yet? That bottom line. It took me years to realize it that God is smarter than we are. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Isaiah 55 earlier said, The heavens are higher. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. All of God's methods transcend us. They're beyond our comprehension. So we'll often hear ourselves saying, I wonder why he did it that way. Now, what about the shepherds and fishermen? Why couldn't God use more people like the Magi? You know, educated, smart, wise men from these. Well, maybe not so far away, and maybe not so foreign. Local be better. But people who were credible and respected and who would not be laughed at or ignored, and why not more people like Zachariah, for example? You know, people, a man in his senior years, I can't think of one right now, but, you know, someone who's always working in his church, and and there's always plenty of those around anyway. God's method includes us. Come on. There we go. Nope. I wanted to say God's method includes us. I'm doing it, and Mike's doing it at the same time. That's it. God sent an angel to the shepherds. Now, in the League of Nobodies, the shepherds will be quite low down the list, if not at the bottom. Then, back then, it was hard to sink any lower than a shepherd, and everyone knew that. These men were uneducated, inarticulate, unreliable, and not even credible as a witness in court. Hardly someone you would entrust with an important message, and certainly not one that you will be unwilling for it to get garbled, or mumbled, or incoherent at the end. Yet God chose them, flawed, unqualified, and without any kind of authority or power, unless you're a sheep. Yet the shepherds, curriculum vitae, was rather like the CV of the fishermen. They were a little higher up the pecking order on the nobody list. Of the 12 disciples that Jesus chose and trained and entrusted with his gospel, there was only one who was probably an obvious choice, and at least half of them were fishermen. Now, you may take the view that the fishermen were... Uh, self-employed food producers, food providers, and businessmen, maybe. But they were fishermen, and illiteracy and a limited vocabulary and scant knowledge of Scripture is where they would be. With our eyes and our logic, we'd have been looking for 12 people like Samuel or Paul or at least with an education and a history and a a track record of doing something in the temple or in the church or in the religious system. People who are educated, gifted, and eloquent. But God's ways are higher than our ways. He looks into the heart. He doesn't look at the CV. Because someone with that kind of heart, by which, I mean, a willing attitude... And willing to be available will be someone God can use not due to their gifts or their talents but because he sees what's on the inside and he sees the potential that may be invisible to others and maybe even themselves the absence of skill and the absence of intelligence and the absence of education is not a problem for the creator of atoms and trees and galaxies the powerful thoughts and powerful words and enthusiasm that was needed to carry the gospel out by the shepherds first and then the <coughs> disciples it was from him he gave it to the shepherds he gave it to the fishermen he will give it to us as well the miracle of the method part two is that we are key to his method of marketing and distribution and spreading the gospel, the rescue plan. God wants to include us, ordinary, flawed, tired people like us. Third point. It should say, God's method sanctifies us. Hands off, Mike. Come on. Mike, make it say sanctifiers, please. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I read a book once, and a statement stood out for me. It said even if you can't quite put it into words, every man is haunted by a question Do I have what it takes? I may have mentioned before, Sally tells me I have, but excuse me if I do, we have three sons. And some might say they had a typical boyhood, playing outdoors, climbing anything, getting dirty, getting sweaty, seeking danger, taking measured risks, and this continued in their 20s. Usually involving mountains, experiencing numbing cold, and inevitably getting wet. Uh, Much to Sally's angst, and but to my delight. As a dad, my, my view is that each experience, pleasant or, or tough, will build their confidence and self-belief, whereas Sally would rather they stayed in their tent or at Starbucks. No tests of endurance, no trials, no risk taking, and definitely no danger. She's the mother. I'm a father. We have different perspectives. On what it takes to be a man. God knows that we don't have what it takes to do His extraordinary things, which is why part of the rescue plan and a key part of salvation is changing us into a likeness of His Son so He can use us. The Bible calls this process sanctification, and it's a bit like a diet and a fitness plan for your soul. It's developing your character so that God and others can see Jesus in you. Now, if again we did this by committee, if we were allowed to design our own sanctification process, it would not look like the unique and personalized and bespoke one that God tailors for us. If we planned our Christian life, our spiritual journey with God, I suspect it would look like Sally's or any mother's development plan for her child. It would be lovely. It would be heavenly bliss, each day steadily growing their ability to love God and everybody else, never having problems to solve because nothing would ever go wrong. And why should they? Because God's in your life. Never tired, never grumpy, always enough sleep and enough time to do the few things that are required of you. However, that type of life would make us unbearable, unsufferable with no understanding of the pain and the anguish and the hardship that people who don't have God and don't know God suffer each day. How could we empathise if we didn't have that experience in our lives. God uses the potter's wheel to shape us, molding. He uses the blacksmith's forge to refine us with the heat and the fire. Sometimes painful, but it's what God needs us to be like, refined, shaped. So he can use us to take his extraordinary message and do extraordinary things out in the world as his servants, as his people. If the shepherds and the fishermen and Matthew and the tax collector and Paul the Pharisee were to make a real impact on the world in spreading God's message, then he simply had to clean them up and infuse them with words and clarity and wisdom. And power that they need. That was required. So this is the miracle of the method. He wants to transform us into better versions of ourselves. So we can do the amazing stuff. Last bit. Relief. I'm sure. So you should see by now that God doesn't usually do the obvious. He doesn't do the predictable things. Using the obvious and predictable people. Unless you're a in the world, and that's when it should be. He does things different to the world. He does things different to human wisdom. He isn't guided by logic, and he's not prevented by our weaknesses, or a weak, poor CV. He doesn't choose the smartest. He doesn't choose the most educated person in the room for doing extraordinary things. He doesn't get swung by credentials or a powerful education list. And he doesn't care about how old we are or how young we are. He will choose, based on the heart, what he can see in there. He can choose any one of us to do any task. It's not limited. And he'll empower us with the Holy Spirit because that's what the Holy Spirit's there for, to change us and to equip us to do what we need to do. But then he gives them what they need to do from him because it's not going to be what we achieved. So we can't boast about what we managed to do. It's what God gave us and equipped us. God really wants to do incredible things with you and with us. And he wants to do things through you. And through Jesus, God can, because he has the ability. All we have to do is be willing and be available. (coughs) And like the shepherds said, they said, let's go. Amen. Amen. for listening to this week's talk. Join us next week for another inspirational message.